When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to a very special episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and I am in Cincinnati with friend of the show, Eric Eager, inside the PFF gigantic studio that you guys have here. And so we have a perfect, flawless audio in the soundproofed PFF studio. What's going on, Eric? Matt, it's so much fun to see you. Uh, so we're about to go. Last time, I think I did one of these... With, besides the combine, last time we did one of these in person, we were just re- getting ready to go to a WNBA game. We're about ready to go to a Reds game here, which uh, the, the the sky has opened up a little bit here, which is great. Um, I'm excited to talk Vikings. I'm excited to interact with people who uh, have reasonable expectations about the team. <laughs> As our listeners do, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so what you requested to do, though, because I remember that show that you're talking about, and that was the first episode ever of Talk Me Into, which has now become a very mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, strong staple of the show, a foundational piece, you might say, of the show. But there's something new that I've been doing since then, the Fans Only oh. podcast. We don't have the Diet Co- or the uh, Diet Dr. Pepper, though. We don't, no. You guys are not stocked here at all with Diet Soda, and I am honestly struggling. I had to drink a cup of water. I can't wait till we go to the game and we can get – because I haven't had a I haven't had an alcoholic drink in about a month. And for no reason other than I just don't want to drink for a while. And, of course, like you don't drink. So I think at the game we should go get a – I'm from Minnesota – a pop uh, mm. at the game uh, – uh, watching the Reds and the and the Nationals play. Yeah, um, you may have to break your streak watching the Reds play, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good situation. But it's a great ballpark. Um, but yeah, no, I I don't have the. We can pretend to, you know. But right. But I also don't have to take soda breaks because someone else will be talking. So I'm just going to go to the file. For the OnlyFans, uh, I'm sorry, for the fans only show. I thought I was going to get to it. I, I know, sorry. I was going to let you sneak it in there. But uh, that's what OnlyFans said. So, uh, but I've got the questions and I'm just. Isn't that what Matt, isn't that what Michael Pittman said about Matt Ryan? <laughs> what did he say? He can put it anywhere. He, want, he can put it anywhere he wants. <laughs> the, if you, did, you could do a whole podcast alone on football stuff that has innuendo to it. Otherwise. I remember, so as people on the show know, I'm a, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and I was in a suite for the 2019 AFC title game. And uh, it was cold as hell. It was like 10 degrees out. And so I was in there a lot going back and forth. And so I go in to the, the, to the suite I was in, and Mitch Holtis, who the guy is a touchdown, Kansas, that guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, he goes, uh, Austin Ryder, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, they've been drilling dudes today, <laughs> was, was, was his radio call, uh, which 
befitting of this podcast. Yeah. Everybody in the in everybody in the uh, in the in the suite was like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of language that doubles. Um, I know that there have been like some broadcasters who have apologized for language like after tragedies yeah. and stuff and like oh sorry for using it's like we all do this with sports though it's like you know what the guy meant yeah. he meant they've been very a physical football team mm-hmm. that day maybe so i'm gonna read <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna read uh some of these questions now i don't read them before when people send me i take a peek at it and then i throw it in the fans only file and then i just go in order from when i got them so I'm just going to start off and see where this takes us. All right. So this one comes from first question from uh, G underscore co sports show on Twitter. I was always a believer that a coach sets a culture, but a quarterback pushes it. Bill Belichick set a culture and Brady pushed it and acted as a buffer between Bill and his teammates. Arian sets the culture in Tampa Bay, but Brady pushed it. Same with Vrabel and Tannehill. It seems like Kirk isn't the best leader, but he's being absolved of all blame. Who do you think was more at fault for the toxic culture in Minnesota, Mike Zimmer or Kirk Cousins? I'll give you the first reaction to the first fans only question. Yeah, I mean, you got. I think most people know where I stand on on Kirk Cousins as far as like all the intangible things. Uh, I think there's a reason why he's never won anything, you know, really in his career. I think when you talk, and in my role at PFF, I talk to a lot of people in the league. Um, you know, when the when the topic of Cousins came up, you know, a lot of people would just text me back and be like, "That's not a guy you want as your quarterback." And and. You know, I know that's different than what Questy Adafimensis said. I know that's different than what Kevin O'Connell have said. Uh, I know, you know, and I and I've talked to I talked to Questy before. He's a friend. I, I I know like there's a talent level with him that's pretty high. I think very good. You know, he's a very accurate, very good quarterback. Um, but you know, there there are aspects of his reclusiveness that I think everybody in the league knows, and 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 there's no mistaking the fact that no one came and offered the Vikings enough for them I mean to to take on I mean if he was the kind of player that galvanized a team I mean I think more people would have come calling for him and and it would have made the decision for the Vikings to keep him a little harder um I think I think it. I think it's harder for a team with a quarterback who's not a leader and people get what quarterback who's not as good of a leader as other people. I'm not saying he's not a leader. I'm saying he's not as good of a leader as Patrick Holmes, Tom Brady, Josh Allen. You you see teams like Green Bay with Rodgers win a Super Bowl with McCarthy. You see teams like Tampa Bay with Arians win a Super Bowl with Brady. You see a team. You know you see more teams with quarterbacks who lead more than the head coach leads win mm-hmm. a Super Bowl than you see the other way around yeah uh, yep. a head coach dragging a quarterback through the through the uh, finish line is just not something I think is as likely to have happen and so does that mean the Vikings can't win a Super Bowl with Cousins I that that not that's not really you know I think that the probability is quite low but um, but I do think this is a great question yeah I, I think that uh I've always sort of stuck with this thing that I heard Kevin Arnovitz say, who's an NBA writer, because he was talking about, and I'm sure that I've said this before on the show, but like he was talking about the Spurs and the Spurs culture. And for so long, it was Spurs culture. Oh my gosh, they just create this incredible culture, culture, culture there, Spurs culture. And the culture was Tim Duncan. 
Like and, and and like that doesn't mean that Greg Popovich isn't an incredible coach. He won a ton with those great players. Not everyone wins with their great players. There are bad coaches that hold back great players. But most of the time, you're only as good as your best player yeah. in terms of your leadership and as, as far as your locker room and your best players in general. But a lot of times with a quarterback, you only go as far as your quarterback when it comes to that. Leadership is in a lot of different ways. And so I wouldn't say that Cousins has no leadership qualities at all. He knows the offense incredibly mm-hmm. well. And you might think, like, well, he's an NFL quarterback. Oh, it's hard to know mm-hmm. the whole offense. Yeah, I, mean, he's- I mean, so, like, he will get everyone lined up. And, and again, I know this sounds silly, but we've seen enough training camps where the quarterback has no idea how to get yeah. people lined up. One of them is a USFL star at the moment who just said on an interview that he's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league. Apparently, in the world, yeah. Yeah, apparently not, though, uh, because no one in the league thinks that about Kyle Sloter. But that was Mike Zimmer, what he said about Sloter. He doesn't even know how to line people up. Kirk Cousins will be in command. He will tell everyone where they're supposed to go, where they're supposed to be. There won't be many questions about it. Like He'll get everybody on the same page with the offense that he's running. You would not have success like this statistically if that didn't happen. But I think that Cousins is a guy who kind of lives in his own world. Like his view of what's going on is very much as it pertains to him. And I think that the best leaders sort of see the whole picture. They're either so good that it doesn't matter what kind of leader they are, which does not really happen at quarterback, but sometimes does I think Aaron Rodgers could be that. Yes. The yeah. current okay. Aaron yep. Rodgers could be that player where he's just so damn good. Yeah. The lead by example aspect of it overtakes a lot of like the fact that he's a kind of a prickly guy. Right. Correct. Someone like Case Keenum's the opposite, where it's like a guy who has amazing leadership skills, but does not have the pure talent. And hey, our guy Jim McMahon was maybe that, yeah. right? Somebody who could get more out of everybody around him. But I think that maybe it was Sam Monson on the show a while back who said that like your win total as a team will be whatever your team is, like whatever your roster is, number two through 53, because Kirk's not going to push everybody else to another level. And he's not going to do that thing that gets everybody on his side. And and what I mean is like, he's not going to dive for the extra yard. He's not going to often stand in and take the hit. He's not going to like force his will on guys to make them better. Like there's a great story about Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady where like in the first training camp that Gronkowski was there, Brady was on him about everything. Like and and Gronkowski thought the quarterback hates me so much. I'm going to get cut. And it was like, no, I think you could be a superstar. Yeah, yeah. And he that's cares why enough pushing, to, right. he cares enough to get to, to go after you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, and like, this is kind of where, Again, the reputation around the league is something. You yep. can ignore it or whatever. You can you can fall in love with his statistics, and that's fine. You can live your life however you want. Uh, but the reputation around the league is, is a guy who doesn't care enough to do something like that, you know. And that you know that that certainly uh, you know. Look, if you if you're look if if you believe that's true, you have four years of evidence to back you up. Right, right, right. Yeah, and and right. That's the thing is that like everybody kind of comes away with the same feeling. Um, players don't go out of their way to make sure they stay and play with cousins. The, you know, a lot more players left than stayed. 
Uh, people stopped taking pay cuts after he came. The, the, uh, the know, like, team atrophied significantly after, right. he's, after he's been on the team. And like a lot, some of that is Spielman not drafting well. Some of that is bad luck. And some of that is the fact, you know, and some of that is due to what we all predicted in March of 2018, which is this is way too big of a contract to give a quarterback right. who doesn't transcend things. And, um, and that's been mostly proven true. But, you know, there is another element of this is that when someone does not take a team over the top, we're going to look around for everything. And we're not the only ones. It's also the players who are on the team with him. They're going to look at the big game where he didn't show up and be like, yep, that's on him. And he didn't lead us and he didn't do what was necessary. He didn't make that one big throw. He choked all that sort of stuff where if the team had been a little stronger. If you hit on a couple of picks, if you have more cap space, which does connect to Kirk very much, but like if you were in a different world with him as your quarterback and you won 13 games in a season where everything went right instead of only nine or 10 or eight or nine, uh, we would maybe not say these things, right? Like even last year, early in the season when he was playing really well, they were trying to be like, oh, well, he's coming out of his shell more and everything. Yeah, yeah. Like they were trying to kind of urge him to do a little more, but you know, players believe in people who win. So, like, there was a there was a meeting. Everson Griffin told us about this in 2017, where Mike Zimmer asked the team, the team's leadership, should we stick with Case Keenum? Like, if Bradford comes back healthy or if Teddy's ready to play, like, should we stay with Case? And they said, we got to stay with the guy who's winning for us mm -hmm. because they believed, because they had seen him winning, that he could do it. And he also played well that year. He did. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. he did. Uh, he played way above his skis or whatever, or his, his yeah, level yeah, yeah. of talent. But the point is just that like players who go to play for the Steelers and play with Ben Roethlisberger, they've got to know, right? Like They have to know that he's not throwing the ball like old Big Ben. Yeah. And yet they still believe, look at, look at this guy and what he's achieved in his career. And when someone is this far into their career and hasn't gone deep, you don't see that same sort of belief. So I think there is a little rewriting it. Um, but yeah, there's a reason why people think that. Now... The question was, is it Kirk more than Zimmer? Well, yes, because the, it's always the players. But that does not absolve Zimmer at all. No. Like Zimmer, no. Zimmer did not do anything to help that situation. He made it consistently worse by letting the entire world know that he didn't believe in his quarterback. <laughs> and, and, and look, the vaccination thing is very uncomfortable for everybody. But the worst thing you can do as a coach, and no other coach did this about unvaxxed quarterbacks, the worst thing you can do is come out and say, yeah, what that guy believes is is quack science and he's not being a leader. And like you say that in front of everybody, like that's not really a way to like help a situation that's already uncomfortable, right? And so that's kind of the, the definition of Zimmer with Cousins is it's just an oil and water thing. Like he's not making Cousins a better leader by just telling him he needs to lead more. He's probably making him worse. And that's where I think there is opportunity for Kevin O'Connell. But do you have the roster is always the thing it's going to come back well, to. But that is where there is some opportunity for Kevin O'Connell to be the person that's more encouraging for his quarterback yeah. as opposed to making sure that everybody knew when they didn't you know, come through in those big games whose fault it was. Anybody can be a good leader when they get what they want. Yeah. So I think when, you know, and, and Zimmer, by the way, like the 2016 season was a complete joke as far as yep. like culture and like you had players that were going against uh, his calls in the secondary and so on and so forth. So to pretend that it just was a Cousins thing with Zimmer and that he's perfect, everything like that, not great. Zimmer was also fantastic 
you know, in 15 through 17, you know, as far as record is concerned and all that kind of stuff, two division titles, um, you know, the last head coach, I, so, so Childress had two division titles. He and he had two division titles. Simmer had two as well. Yeah, you have to go back to Denny Green before a guy had many more than two. So, um, you know, he had his moments, but I, I think what's encouraging about the Adafo Mensa O'Connell thing is that there's there's clearly an emphasis on doing what's best for the group, even if you're not getting your way. Right. I mean, you look at. I mean, they just signed a second ago. Jonathan Bullard. We talk about Questy as an analytics guy. Jonathan Bullard has been a zero WAR player for four straight four straight years like I don't know that might be somebody that Ryan Grigson wanted right and, and he takes them anyway like there's there's certainly not my way or the highway with this group yep. which was certainly what hurt Zimmer which was he didn't want cousins and he kind of pouted the entire time yeah. and and you know for better or worse that's why you know he's out first go to sodastick.com that is s-o-t-a S-T-I-C-K, our loyal sponsor. Check out all of their great Minnesota-themed gear for your playoff run in hockey or for baseball season if you're headed out in the nice weather to a baseball game. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K, sodastick.com. Hats, t-shirts, hoodies if you need them for a cool evening in the summer. Sodastick.com has you covered. And if you don't empower somebody in a leadership position, it makes it harder for them to yep. lead. Right. So, right. So there's kind of like both of you go to your rooms <laughs> you yep. know, because of, and now that's what I think the entire ownership is banking on is a better situation for him getting better results. But clearly, even though they signed him to an extension, they didn't show lifetime belief in cousins either by only making it a one-year situation where they can still move on cap-wise. Trade-wise, it's a little harder, but cap-wise. So even them, they didn't go all in on this. They want to see it themselves as well. Uh, but that's a really good question. Let me move on to uh, this one from Linwood. Uh, if you could compare the 2017 schedule to the 2022 schedule, does this team have the potential to take advantage of a weak schedule in the same way it did in 2017? Funny thing about 2017 is it was made into a weak schedule by hurting Aaron Rodgers. But overall, they won the big games, though, that yeah. year. They beat the Rams with the number one offense 24 to 7 at home. And then they went to Atlanta and beat a very good Falcons team. Uh, so the the, the a NFC South had three playoff teams in 2017. The Vikings beat two of them. Right. Lost one, to Carolina. Lost to Carolina on the road in a close game. Right, a game they could have won. They had the ball in their hands <laughs> yeah. at the end of the game, right? Yeah. So, so they they played well against winning teams, which they haven't in the past. But uh, it's a good question. How difficult is this schedule? Yeah, I mean, so the what the things that you had in 2017 that were different than what you're going to have now. Um, so, you know, let's throw the Steelers game out of there because the Steelers were the Steelers actually didn't make the playoffs in 17. No, they did. Yeah, the Steelers made the playoffs in 17. They had a bye. Um, lost to Jacksonville that year. That but, was Case's first start. That yeah, was yeah. That, you yeah. throw that game out there because we didn't even know Case was starting until like the Saturday before. Right. Um, New Orleans was 
ended up being very good. Remember, they got blown out by the they got beat by double digits to the Vikings in Week One. Then got blown out by New by New England at home, and then that's when they their defense started around to the shape. You saw the 2017 yeah. draft class. So even like Week One, New Orleans, like that's a good win. But it was easier at the time. It was it's one of those like not who you play when you play them type situations sure, with yeah. those guys. And then from there, I mean, the the Lions game at home was really rough. But you got a Bears team starting Trubisky for the first time. Um, you got a Packers team, like you said, there were three point favorites at, in in US Bank Stadium, and that game you ended up uh, breaking you know Aaron Rodgers' collarbone or whatever, right. and so that it got that game got easier. Um, but Detroit was uh, nine and seven. Detroit right? was a nine so and seven team, and Detroit, splitting with them was decent. Then. Yeah, and Detroit played a, a good game. Detroit was like a blocked field goal, like they were offsides on a blocked yes, field goal yeah. in the in the uh, thir- in the uh, Thanksgiving game. Um, I think 2017 schedule was much harder. Than Kirk actually played a really good game against them too did, in, yeah. in Washington after the bye. The Browns were a winless team, and you know you got them in vet, in uh, London right before the bye. But then the Bengals were in the tank. That oh, was right, a, the right. Bengals were in the tank when they came to U.S. Bank. Um, the Falcons game that was a great game by the Vikings. I mean, just a, an utter that was a Zimmer game, right? And a, and the Falcons were a slow team then. So you got a bear, a down Bears team, a down Packers team that year. Other than that, I thought it was a a, 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 a relatively modest schedule uh, of difficulty. If if we're talking about which team had the weak schedule, it's 2019. That was yeah, where you couldn't find any good teams. And 2019, think, you had a bunch of backup quarterbacks yeah. on your schedule. Backup yeah. quarterbacks, some of which you lost to. Matt Moore, Matt Moore uh, right. Chase Daniel. Um, you almost lost to what Brandon Allen at home in that game. Had a 20-point comeback it, against Brandon yeah. Allen. and Kirk's uh, signature comeback. Yeah, and and a ball knocked down in the end zone by J. Ron Curse. Otherwise, Brandon Allen would have had a game-winning yeah. drive. And, I, and, and people wondered why we kind of questioned that. I think team. you look at this schedule, though. You are underdogs at home to the Packers in week one. Yeah. You're underdogs on the road to the Eagles in week two. You're only five-point favorites to the Lions at home, which is, I mean, that if, if you want any like evidence that the, the world does not believe in Minnesota, it's that there are five-point favorites to the Lions at home. Uh, you're basically a pick em in London against the Saints. Bears, you're going to be favored because the Bears are going to stink. And then you have teams. I think you're going to be an underdog to Miami. Cardinals game is going to be close-ish. I think the Commanders game is going to be close-ish. You're going to be underdogs to the Bills. You're going to be underdogs to the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. You're probably maybe favored against the Patriots at home, favored against the Jets. I think on the road against Detroit, you're like a field goal favorite, which, again, let's steady things here. Colts, Packers, they're – I mean – if they win the games they're supposed to win, there's about seven or eight games here that they should be favored and they should win. Um, after that, it just amounts to whether they can beat, you know, steal a game or two. And th- and this team can steal a game, but they play so many close games by virtue of who the quarterback is yeah. and how he wants to play the game that. You know, we talk about close games, and yeah, close games are kind of a coin flip or whatever. But by virtue of how he plays, you are blame you 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 deserve some of the blame for close losses because you make games close that should. The fact that Cooper Rush had a chance to score a touchdown <laughs> yeah. against you to win the game is because you checked down to C.J. Ham eighteen times in that game. <laughs> so that 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 that's where I I get worried if if I'm a Vikings fan, which is there are tons of winnable games on the schedule, but there's but 
do you think do you think that there is a do you think there's zero percent chance the Jets play a close game at US Bank Stadium and then something weird happens like a Dalvin Cook fumble right. that's not even a fumble and you know <laughs> they they kick a field goal and you're like how the heck did they lose to the Jets? Yeah, every year they have that one. That, like, yes, there's there's always that loss on the schedule that you can't believe. And the Detroit Lions last year was that one. And then this is why I always think. Going into a season, we try to project how hard the schedule is. You don't really know until the season's over how Correct. hard your schedule was because there's a lot of games in there where you're like, the Patriots could be really hard or not hard at all. I really don't know. Like, based on their point differential last year, if they bring that squad, like, you're going to have a really tough time with them. They had an incredible defense, uh, I think a yep. top 10 offense. But I'm not projecting that team to show up, but they might. Like yeah. you know what I mean? There's the, the, the Cardinals Jets. won 11 games last right. year, beat the Vikings. They might be worse, but they but everybody thinks that they're terrible this year, right? Like, um, and, and there's good reason to. But you're not catching necessarily the good side of variance either. You're getting the Cardinals before the halfway mark of the season when Cliff Kingsbury decides to melt down every year. <laughs> yeah. So like you you don't get that. You go to the Commanders like. I'll be honest, a team that I've kind of puffed up in 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 my eyes a little bit is Washington. Like, you know, that team won seven games last yeah. year, which is frankly only one game less than the Vikings. And, you know, they had one of the worst quarterbacks, former Viking Taylor Heineke. Like, he was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year. Uh, Antonio Gibson was one of the worst running backs in football. When you look at perfectly blocked runs, he did the least with them of any back in football. So you put Brian Robinson from Alabama in there. They could be a, they could be good. Their defense has tons of first round picks playing for them. Yep. Um, again, like, I, I think you, what you said is extremely. Or Carson Wentz could throw four picks and it's just yeah, a, like exactly. you, don't, you really you could, don't know in a lot yeah, of these teams. Yeah, you could lose by you could lose by thirty because Wentz is terrible. But I think Wentz is you know Wentz won nine games like Wentz won nine. Kirk didn't win nine games last year. Wentz won nine games like the, so. I, I think you know this is where I think if you're a Vikings fan, you're optimistic. You said, look, we're. If you're a Vikings fan, you're the only one and a half point underdogs at home to the Packers. They could very well win that game. The same right. way they were only one and a half point underdogs when they played at US Bank Stadium last year, and they won that game, and they were very convincing, and it was a very good win for them. You could easily go to Philadelphia. You have the better quarterback in that game. Yep. You have, um, you know, you have the best weapon in that game. Even though they have good weapons for the Eagles, like you can win that game. Obviously, you could beat Detroit, and you could beat the Saints, and you could beat the Bears. You could be five and zero, oh. but like. With all of the history of what we've seen with this team, you're basically I think there's five coin flips there. So good luck, you know, and that, and that's kind of uh, and that's what we've come to expect. And that was one of the things, by the way, if you want to circle this all the way back to 2017, because I want to do that. Their quarterback was not a very good quarterback. He was he was a quarterback who was playing a very good season. But yeah. you know what they did? They beat Tampa by 17. Yep. They beat Green Bay by 13. They beat Baltimore by 8, but you remember there was a backdoor touchdown at the end <laughs> yes. that screwed yeah, over yes. all the underbetters in that game yes. to put it at 40. You beat you were, I think, down at halftime to Cleveland in London, but you beat that team by 17. Uh, you beat the Rams, the aforementioned number one offense football, by 17. You beat uh, the Bengals by 27. You beat the Packers by 16 in a game that Case Keenum played like poop. And then you beat the Bears by 13 points. Like, when your quarterback is – and again, we're not saying Keenum's as good as Cousins. We're saying Cousins is not elite. If your quarterback is in that sort of like anything can happen kind of guy, yep. you, you win by when, – when, when Andy Reid had Alex Smith, they won 66% of their games. Andy Reid had the second-best record in, in, in all of football in games decided by more than one score. 
to Belichick. That's how you win when you have a quarterback like Kirk. Right. You right, don't right. leave him to chance. Right. And uh, the the variance of Kirk in general, like which Kirk do you get in any one of those games? Like they can beat good teams with good Kirk and they can lose to bad teams with bad Kirk. And you just don't know when it's showing up. Um, and the numbers really show that, like whether if you chart his PFF grades and you chart, it's funny about his PFF grades where it's like overall he grades very high, but then you chart them and it's like up and down. It's like yeah. the highs are very high and the lows are pretty low. And the same thing goes for QBR or whatever other metric you like. And so with any one of these on the schedule, you go, well, you know, you've got this one and you should win that game at Washington. But it's like, well, what if, what if Washington's D line is good that day and you lose alignment to an injury? Like there's so much yeah. that can play into whether he plays well or not, which is what ultimately determines uh, whether you're going and the, to win. And the but more I, games you have to go down to the wire, the less time you can rest people and the more right. the, the higher risk you have of everything. And I, I think one of just to briefly talk about this. I think one of the cool things that the that the Vikings might be able to do this year is lean into some of the stuff that the Rams did in staying healthy. Yeah, like that yep. that was the Rams' true analytical edge was you know you know steps you know measuring steps measuring load all that kind of stuff. That's been the Vikings' Achilles heel. I I think that the path to ultimate success with Cousins is in a completely healthy team to the point of the yeah. 2017 to bring this all the way back. The 2017 Vikings had the same 11 starters on defense in week one as they did in the NFC title game. Yep. That is the ingredient to winning a Super Bowl with Kirk. Um, okay, next question here from at head coach 21, nice. who is a, uh, a, a super subscriber, if you will, to the newsletter. Uh, for the fans only podcast, teams whiff on draft picks all the time. How in the world do teams whiff on hiring a head coach, i.e. Urban Meyer and Joe Judge? Uh, well, for one is galaxy brain owners. I mean, for one, like Urban Meyer is galaxy brain owner and no other reasonable person would ever do this except for the owners wanted to make a splash. He was on TV. You could see them being like, yeah, like he won all those games and he's on TV and he sound. And remember when Urban Meyer was on TV, he sounded super smart. And then as soon as he had to get in the league, he was way over his head in the NFL because surprise, he'd never been there and he's a sociopath. It's not a great uh, combination. But one thing you can never predict, and this goes for Kevin O'Connell, you can never predict how someone who is a coordinator reacts to the strain of being a head coach. Like, think about this. If you're the offensive coordinator and you wake up and you look at your phone and you see a report that a player on defense got, got hurt or a player on defense got arrested or a player, you know, whatever it might be. It, that's not your problem, right? Like if you wake up one day and, and somebody tweeted something they weren't supposed to, and now the media has got a bunch of questions about it. You don't have to answer those. You just stay in your office and watch film. Yeah. If, if somebody in the front office has a problem with the way that you played the player that they drafted, that's not really your problem as the offensive coordinator. You might hear about it, but what if there's some sort of conflict? Yeah. What if the general manager wants something that you don't want? That's not your problem as the offensive coordinator. You're three rungs below. Everything is your problem. And the amount of stress that builds up over a year, you also have to answer for everything. Think about this. If you are an offensive coordinator and you make a horrendous play call, you might get asked about it the following Wednesday. If you are the head coach, the minute that game is over, you just lost, you just blew a 20 point lead. You have to walk in and answer for everything that just happened instantly. And then by the way, you have to answer for it three more times that week. 
and everything that's going on. Like, think about the stress of Mike Zimmer last year. Dalvin Cook's off-field issue. Everson Griffin's off-field issue. Players going on the COVID list. He's bringing in COVID experts to try to explain why everybody should get vaccinated. Is that like, like think yeah. of every that is not your problem if you're a coordinator. Well, and 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 I know this isn't absolute because we've seen obviously there are coordinators who call play or head coaches who call plays who have been successful. Matt Lafleur, yep, uh, Andy Reid has done it forever. Uh, you know, Nick Sirianni even last year made the playoffs with the Eagles, calling plays on offense. At I I get worried though especially if you look at Vikings history with guys like Brad Childers, never, you know, and Brad, and this is where I, I take it even a step further. Like Brad didn't call plays in, in Philly other than like the last five games of 05 when, when McNabb was injured, you know, O'Connell has last called plays 2019. I want to say Washington. Yeah. He was making the game plan guys who want to be head coaches who also call the plays in the first year. I get worried about that. Like, I get worried because, A, there's not evidence that O'Connell was a good play caller to begin with, right? So he's doing a job. There, there's a projection there, right? But it adds to all the other stuff that the guy's got to worry about that you just said, and I just – I get worried about Like I, I think that those guys and, – and it's why when I look at some of the great coaches in the league, some of the guys I really respect, Mike Tomlin shows up in Pittsburgh and in – 07. Mm -hmm. Dick LeBeau's there. Tomlin, Vikings fans know this, he was a cover two guy. Ran cover two of the Vikings in 06. Uh, LeBeau was a 3-4 Blitzburg defense. He's like, you, you call the plays. I'm going to be head coach. John John Harbaugh, special teams coordinator, just a head coach. Um, you know, Belichick is kind of like doing that thing now where he's deciding who's going to call plays for his offense and yeah. defense and stuff like that. I mean, those guys are unicorns, the the Reeds and the Belichick. But even Reed, Andy Reed has played like a fiddle sometimes at the end of games with his, with his time management stuff. So to answer this question, um, I think it's just – it's always a projection, right? And, and we were talking about this. Uh, you, you were talking to my colleague, George Shahuri, and we're, you know, we, we've undergone some changes at PFF. We've switched leadership people around and stuff like that. And just because you're a good data scientist doesn't mean you're going to be a great person at running data science for a PFF, yeah, right, right. right? Like just because you are a great uh, editor doesn't mean you're going to be a great editor-in-chief. Like there are always projections with this. Yep. And anytime there's projections, so like head coach 21, he says, you know, how do they get draft picks wrong when they get well, it's the same thing, right? It's it's you're you're taking somebody from one environment and moving them to the other. And at least for college to pro, for most part, they're playing at least the same position to play in the same sport. Yep. Whereas now, like Kevin O'Connell's job is fundamentally different than the one he had in Los Angeles. So, you know, I'm not necessarily saying I think he's gonna fail. I just think there's a they're always all they're all up against it a lot. Yep. Yeah. Oh, head coaching is incredibly difficult. But I think that in terms of why they get them wrong, it's it's similar to draft picks because you've never seen it. Like, yeah. think about this. What would you do if this room suddenly burst into flames? What you can give me a great answer. You could be like, well, I would get up and I would run to the door and I would save the women and children first. And uh, I would put it out, you know, with my two hands and. I would be like uh, Jose Canseco in the Simpsons episode where he's running in and grabbing the furniture. and uh, or But really, you might be George Costanza where you're pushing over old ladies and yelling <laughs> fire and trying to get out. You don't actually know right. how you're going to react. Lots of projections. Until you actually end up getting into that spot. So someone like Joe Judge, you could be like, 
The guy was a special teams coordinator. What were they thinking? John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator, best coach in the league, or one of the top three. And Joe Judge was a coach for Belichick, which I, I has been a variable yeah. that you want to fade, yeah. right? Let's be sure. honest. Yep. <laughs> um, but but at least like he wasn't some special teams coordinator for like the Packers, who are giving up playoff games by block punts and stuff like that. Like it, it <laughs> it's it's not. Um, it's just a, it's a hard problem. All these yep. problems are hard. I, I have a ton of empathy, and these are big decisions. And these contracts are guaranteed. I know yep. they got offsets and stuff. And you know, if they were to move on from him or whatever, like he, they would get money back if another team picked them up and hired him as a coordinator and stuff like that. But it, it's also a really risky financial investment. Yeah, and uh, so I think as you're an owner trying to figure out like who do we hire, you take your best shot. I mean, you. Listen to everybody give you their pitch. And, and it's just like, you know what? We're going to redo the bathroom. And we got a guy and we found him on the internet. And we're just hoping that the guy knows how to put in a bathroom, right? Like yeah. every everything is like this. But most of the things, most of the decisions. Now, if the guy messes up the bathroom, I'm not going to be happy about it. So it's pretty costly for me. It's really costly for an owner. So you're like listening to everybody's pitch and you're trying to put a, put together, you know, who's going to be the best and why, why you should hire this guy and that guy. And sometimes we know immediately you hire Matt Patricia when he didn't tell you about some very unfortunate stuff. I told you about my past, Matt Patricia right? story. Like, no. A weak handshake. That's when I knew. Oh, Matt he, had a, he had a weak handshake. Matt Patricia was one, <laughs> was the my, my first like July at PFF. I joined PFF full time July 9th. Uh, like July 12th, I went and visited Detroit. Uh, and we demoed a few of our products. I met Matt. Nice guy. Nice guy. The handshake was weak, though. Oh, and and okay. that's when I immediately Big problem. I immediately thought. Handshake data? Handshake data. That was my hashtag analytics. Grip strength. Yeah, it was just, it was a weird, like, it was a weird thing because, like, you know, it was, it was, it was one of those situations. And again, I'm a, I'm the biggest numbers guy in the world, but I, I certainly, I played the game. I've looked. I've, I was in a room giving a presentation to all of the coaches and the scouts and stuff for the, the Lions. And if I didn't know that he was the head coach, I would have never guessed, hmm. right? Like he yeah. was, he would did not command the room at all. He sat in the back, slouched. He, he was not a head coach. Slouched, huh? Didn't yeah. he yell at the reporters for slouching? I, well, look, uh, hypocrisy is never a trait of men <laughs> in leadership positions. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to tell. And I remember that when Belichick was hired by the Patriots, some Boston newspaper wrote, this is like the dumbest hiring of all mm -hmm. time. And what are they thinking? And this guy's a failed retread, should have hired somebody else. And you know what? Maybe somebody else would be the biggest genius in the world uh, if, you know, they had Tom Brady, right? So, like, yeah. all these things are, are tough to figure. Maybe Joe Judge wouldn't have lost his freaking mind at the end of that thing if he had a good quarterback and a healthy team. They actually had the most man games lost last year in the NFL uh, in the New York Giants, which is a reason they should be stronger. Okay, uh, one more. Now, this is directed at me, but you and I could talk about a little bit of the differences here with our situations. So this comes from at you Vike that one. Oh, nice. Yeah. An another, uh, another longtime follower of the show. So appreciate him. Uh, both you and your wife work at sports, meaning me. Uh, and uh, do you ever have to turn sports off for your relationship? My wife and I both work in mental health and healthcare and have learned not to talk work when we are at home and find other interests to talk about. Well, let me, I'll answer first. Uh, but, um, 
mental health and healthcare a little heavier than sports. We always talk about sports. I mean, all day, all the time, and watch sports at night. So we're watching the Lynx game last night. Uh, we're texting today about college softball that I'm watching here in the PFF office, and she's watching back at home. She broadcasts Lynx games. I go to the Lynx game as a season ticket holder. As I go to every single one so I can watch the game, and then we can meet up after and talk about the game. I mean, it's a huge part. The first date we ever had was playing one-on-one in basketball. So it's like a massive, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a massive part. I mean, it makes up a very, uh, that and the dog makes up probably the, the majority of our conversations in our entire life. I mean, honestly, it's a, I, I have been extremely lucky to, to have that, but we are very much the same. So no, we don't ever have to turn that off at all. Like I, I wouldn't, honestly, if you said you don't have to talk about sports, we would, I'm sure find other things to connect on music or whatever else things that are going on she used to be a news reporter so we'd discuss the stories that she was covering so it's not like that's what all we do but i mean it's yeah i mean no not at all i you know this you know this eric because we talk all the time i do not ever get tired of talking about this like and neither do you (laughs) it's like we will do we will do vikings all day and then you'll call on your way home from work or something, and we'll talk for the, about the Vikings. And then I'll do a radio hit in Rapid City, North Dakota, and I'll talk about the Vikings some more. And shout like, out to Nate Brown. Shout out Nate Brown show that has both of us on all the time. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how it is for me. But your wife is not in the industry, so this is different for you. Yeah, I mean, last time I was on, I, I sort of gave away how much I I bet on things, like, <laughs> and yes. you know, by the way, the draft was very good. Um, Congratulations. I'm concerned I'm concerned that you are teaching your young children how to be. Yeah. So gamblers. like my daughter, well, I've gotten into the WNBA in large part because of betting, but also because you're one of my best friends and we chat about it all the time. And um it also like I will I will come back to this. Like you and Sloan are very well rounded. I think you have like good opinions on things, even though you don't go out of your way not to to not talk about sports. Um but for me it's almost always if I have a bad week betting that you'll talk with that, your wife about it. No, or no, no. You like, won't? no, like I, I go to like amusement parks with my kids. I do, I do stuff like that. My wife and I ch- chat sports, but we also chat other things. I don't ever have to, I don't always, I never go out of my way to turn it off. But like, if I just remember like, you know, I've had a bad week or two and I'll just like go to bed really early and just be like, I don't want to think about this. <laughs> I don't want to think about this game, uh, for any longer. Um, but yeah, it's hard. I mean, like we we're into this, you know, and I think there are a lot of people, I actually know people specifically who have been in this business for decades who don't like the game that much. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm not one of them. So no, uh, well, neither am I, but I think that it is different. Like people, people who do the job of reporting on football who have spouses that don't like aren't in sports or don't care about sports. I think it is challenging for those people because it's hard to understand how much of your life this takes, you know, like how much of your life this takes up and how much, how much time, how much brain space, how much emotional energy that goes into it. And it's like my wife and I were talking about our schedules for this fall. It's like, well, I'm going to be traveling to this game and she's got to travel She's doing something that's going to be really awesome this this fall, and she's going to be traveling every weekend. And it's like, 
we end up being away from each other a lot because we both work in sports. Not everyone understands that. Like, I've got to go. I've got to write. Last night, I mean, I was getting ready to come here on a fairly early flight, and it's like 1230 at night, and I'm still trying to finish up an article for tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like that's how it is. So I think that's a challenge for people who have spouses that don't understand, but since both of us are in the industry, it's like, well, you got to do what you got to do. I have to do what I have to do. And, um, you know, it's really beneficial. So it's a good question, but, uh, for, for us, it just, yeah, it never stops. So football, football, Eric, uh, this was great. You and I got to run cause we're going to go to the Reds game and watch the mighty Cincinnati red legs and, uh, Chris Sabo at third base. You have Eric Davis, Barry Larkin. Yeah. Not to be a Ken Griffey jr. And senior. And senior, yep. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, obviously Joey Botto's still there, but he would he? be a good one in a couple years. Yeah, he might be a Hall of I think he's a Hall of Famer, right? So, anyway, well, this was fun. It was good to get together with you. You're the first guest to ever do a Fans Only, so maybe that will become uh, a thing that ends up happening more often. So, thank you all for listening, as usual, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.